Today's scripture reading is John 14, 15 through 23. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, now the Scariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. You may be seated. Good job. Well, greetings, greetings. Uh, my name is Gabe Coyle. I am the campus pastor at Christ Communities Downtown Campus. And uh, it's a joy to be here with you today. I also send you greetings from the Four Chapter Gallery, which is Christ Communities Gallery from across campuses located in our downtown campus. And let me begin or continue our time together in worship with prayer now that God's word has been read over us so wonderfully. Great job. Let's pray. God, we came here today with just <laughs> probably anxieties about later today, maybe deeper longings for you to meet us here, maybe a sense of feeling rushed, a hope to experience you. Whatever it is that we are longing for, whatever it is we're hoping for, whatever it is we're wrestling with, we don't leave it at the door. Instead, we lay it at your feet. Holy Spirit, we expect you to work. Lord Jesus, we are your body. Heavenly Father, may you be glorified. Give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see what it is you have for each of us individually as well as a church from your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, there's a question um, that faithful followers of Jesus in the midst of suffering ask, and it's the same question that ardent atheists ask when they go looking for proof. And frankly, it's one of the most important questions we can go through our everyday lives and forget to ask. And it's this, where is God? What's so astounding, I think, about this particular passage today, this moment in Jesus' life, right? This isn't just static text. This is a window into the historical moment where Jesus is talking to his disciples is that Jesus says something that is not just audacious for religious folks. It's pretty intense and frankly a little insane when we think about life broadly. But that's not why I think this statement is so dangerous. I think the reason it's dangerous, what Jesus says here in addressing the question that we have, the reason it's dangerous because for you and me in the 21st century, it can feel so cliche that we'll completely miss it. You see, what Jesus has to say here in addressing this particular question that's absolutely revolutionary is that God wants to make his home in us. 
God wants to make his home in you and me. Like if you go look up on Zillow, like where's God? Oh, he wants to be in us. Like he, we are the one he's in a bidding war for, right? Like that's pretty astounding. And this isn't a metaphor. This isn't like, oh, that's a neat way to think about it. The very reality that we could go to the expanse of the universe that we can't, as far as we know at this point, truly exhaust, or the various layers of the universe that we're just beginning to explore, that that same God dwells within us. I love the way that Teresa of Avila from the 16th century, she talks about this way, if I had understood as I do now that in this little palace of my soul dwelt so great a king, I would have not left him alone so often. But what a marvelous thing that he who would fill a thousand worlds and many more with his grandeur would enclose himself in something so small. I love what she says next. Since he is Lord, he is free to do what he wants. <laughs> and since he loves us, he adapts himself to our size. The one that you and I long for, the, the one that you're hoping to experience here today, the one that maybe you're here if you're asking questions you long for, the one that's at the center of everything that we seek is as real and longs to make his home in us in such a palpable way that it feels as close as our heartbeat. Just take a, a deep breath, and you know those moments where you're nervous, and you begin to feel your heartbeat, not just in your chest, but in your wrist, and in your various capacities, like across your body. That's what we are meant to experience. Like, there's this deep, visceral presence of God that we long for, and Teresa and followers of Jesus throughout history, and Jesus himself is saying, I want to come, and I want to make my home in you. The real question, though, as astounding as that is, is do we really want that? You know, I think there's the possibility question. Is this even possible? That's a great question, and it has a whole lot of merit. But I think the questions that are more important aren't just what is possible, but what is desirable. Do you even want this? Do I even want, like, if I really understand the invitation as to what God's inviting us to, or, or, or inviting his presence within us to be experienced, think about this for a second. To experience the nudge of God in such a palpable way that his leading feels almost as clear as a command. That when you are engaged in sinful behavior, destructive behavior, that destroys you and others. God isn't some far off place hiding in a corner waiting for us to draw his attention back so that we can confess to him. But he's right there in the intimacy of those destructive behaviors sitting with him. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says when he's writing to the church in Corinth? He's like, what are you doing? You're like inviting God into these destructive behaviors. The very feeling that God might be nudging you to talk to someone, to move to a location, to be a part of something, and, and, and to say no to him feels as palpable as looking your boss in the eyes, your parents in the eyes, your friend in the eyes. And that doesn't mean it obliterates choice. It just means that choice comes with that much more weight because you're literally doing life with God as he dwells within you. I don't know, friends, that just kind of shakes me up a little bit. If I take Jesus seriously as to what he's inviting us to here, not just a neat idea to contemplate later, but a reality 
Do you really want that? I think before we can address that question, though, where is God? This whole question of desire forces us to pose a different question first, and it's this, where are you? Long before we ask, where is God? We need to be addressing, where are you? Sometimes we ask the question, where are you, God? Because we don't want to pay attention to what he's even doing within us. Sometimes it can be a diversion from paying attention to the discomforts, the pains, and the heartache that's going on deep within. And so today, we're going to engage what Jesus has to say here. We're going to see how these two questions, where is God and where are you, how they're linked together. We're going to look at what this means for us and then why on earth we'd actually want this. Okay, so if you haven't already, turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14, John chapter 14. Now, we've been in a journey through John here, and we've been engaging with Jesus in this dinner conversation he's been having, and he's been modeling his love for his disciples. He's talking about preparing a place for them. Over and over again, Jesus is going through like just extraordinary lengths to communicate how much he loves you, me, and those who are closest to him. Jesus does not want them to have the smallest doubt of how he feels, how he acts, how he shows up in the world for us. And now we get to the point in in, in this whole series where where Jesus starts to say, well, how do we respond? (laughs) When someone shows, when God shows up like that for us, how do we respond? And it's all over our passage. John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me. John chapter 15, verse 21, he it is who loves me and he who loves me. And then verse 23, if anyone loves me loves me. You see, it's been become abundantly clear that Jesus really loves us. The big question is, do we love Jesus? Once again, it comes back to not just where is God, but where are you? Where, Where am I? Where are we in the midst of this? So look with me now at verses 15 through 17 as we begin to unpack this response. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Don't miss that. Before we ever jump to the Spirit, Jesus wants us to know that he's our first helper. Don't miss that, friend. It's just so beautiful. That little word, another, can just skip by. But Jesus is like, oh, I'm your helper. But I'm going to send you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. You see, Jesus is abundantly clear that God lives in those who love Jesus. That's that's where God wants to be. God lives in those who love Jesus. In the moment, I, I, know who, I know how we can think, because this is how I think, this is how so many conversations as a pastor I have with people, this is the way we naturally think, because we think so transactionally in our culture, and pr- frankly, throughout history, this is how human beings think, because so much in life is transactional. I don't want you to miss that loving Jesus is not a condition for Jesus loving you. Don't jump there. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. You have to follow the order pretty clear. You've got to understand what Jesus is communicating. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in what? 
in this, that, that, that while we were sinners, when we did not love him, that's when he died for us. Jesus has already gone above and beyond. He's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm going to show you how I love you. I'm going to make promises out of my love for you. It's abundantly clear. This is not about manipulation. Jesus is offering an invitation. Jesus' love is first and full, but what's also important is that God will come as close as our affections will allow him. You see, Jesus, he longs for a deeper and deeper and deeper intimacy with you and me. And if you've been walking with us, with us through the whole Gospel of John, he has just been littering this like all throughout his retelling of his experience of Jesus with a deeper understanding of what God has been doing in the world. At the beginning in John chapter 1, what do we see? That in the beginning was the Word. What are we to understand? That God was already rich in love and out of his love for us, he creates us. Not because he needs us, but because he has so much love, he wants to bask it on more beings and creatures. And so he creates the world, and then the world rejects him. What does he do? Out of his love. He actually pursues the world. And in the midst of pursuing the world, the world continues to turn their back on him. So what does he do? Out of his love, he becomes like you and me so that we could start to begin to fathom his unsearchable riches of his love. And he walks and he talks among us. John talk, talks about that in chapter one. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we begin to see the glory, the goodness, the splendor of God's love towards you and me. But he doesn't stop there. The, the, the most astounding act of God is not merely that he came and was among us, but you keep moving, and it's the fact that God doesn't want to just be among us. He wants to be in us. <laughs> he doesn't want to be just a friend seated beside us at coffee. He wants to come make his resident, residence within the deep recesses of your soul. And all of this, friends... Is the language of marriage. Now I know there, there are different ways of talking about our intimacy with God. But here the language, the, the imagery of marriage is just all over the place. Isn't it fascinating that in John's gospel account, the first miracle, what does Jesus do? He turns water into wine. Where? At a wedding! He is laying the groundwork. And Jesus is like, it's not my time. My time for what? For his wedding vows. He's moving forward. And, but, but listen... God is an extraordinary respecter of boundaries. This is truly astounding as to who God is because he defines what healthy relationships look like because he defined who human beings are. He created us. He designed us. But he also has given us the opportunity to reciprocate. And in the midst of all of this, <laughs> we see God inviting us to not just be friends, but to actually become one with him, where the two become one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. He wants to come and dwell within us. This is intimacy language in marriage. God wants to move in, but he won't move in without reciprocity, commitment, and love. And you see, when God moves in, you got to let God be God, friends. You got to let God be who he is. 
God doesn't get to move in, and then you got to say, you know what, God, this is what you, this is what you got to do for me. This is how you got to show up. You got to be quiet over here, but I really want you to speak over. Th- no, you got to let God be God when He moves in. He's got to be the spouse that we long for, the spouse we need. If we ever to be one with him and to know what it means for him to move in to our lives. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, but when I start reading this, I, my mind, and some of you are maybe in this spot, you start thinking through different theological categories. I think of omnipresence. If you don't, like, that God is aware and is present in all places. He has this extraordinary capacity that only God has. We see this in Psalm 139. The psalmist is like, where, where, if I go to the highest of heavens... There you are. If I go down to the depths of death, there you are. I can't escape your presence. Is that what he's talking about? We already have a recognition of where he already is because God is indeed aware and engaged in all spaces and times. No. It's not that that is untrue. But what God is inviting us here is to a deeper intimacy of relationship with an awareness of God within us, an experience of his life, and so seeing the world as he sees the world, walking with him in his world with a richer intimacy. Some of you might be thinking, okay, is this panentheism? And some of you are like, I don't even know what that word means. Legit, okay? Panentheism, this is an idea that's common in other world religions, is the idea that God, actually all of the universe, all of his creation is subsumed within God. It's the idea that if you exist, God already exists in you. It's the idea that we are all God, and yet God is still bigger than us. We are a part of him and he is a part of us just by being born. That is not what we see here. You see what Jesus makes abundantly clear is that there's a move-in date. <laughs> there's a date when he's not with you, in you, in the intimacy of this union, and then there's a day when he moves in. There's a day when he comes to take up residence within you. You need to understand that in this passage, Jesus is not saying that we are all God's children, regardless of how you respond to Jesus, regardless of your worldview. You know what? We're just all a part of God's faith. It's all going to work out. And No, Jesus is abundantly clear that this is a response to Jesus that has an outcome that is purely his grace, where he comes to live in you, and it comes with extraordinary, you know, Details and movements thereafter. So how do we respond? If God has moved heaven and earth to communicate his love for us, to take care of our sin, to meet us in our wounds, to come to knock on the door of our lives and say, I want to live in you. How do we respond? What do we do here? It all comes back to, once again, where are you? And here's the question I think is pivotal that Jesus is raising. Are you in a loving relationship with Jesus? That's crucial how you respond to that. Because if you're not, God is not in you. That is the theological 
perspective of Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I want to communicate and accurately portray his heart and what he's saying here. It doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you don't have value. It doesn't mean you don't have human dignity and are not made in God's image. Yes, 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 yes. But that does mean that God is not in you. The intimacy, the oneness that he longs to have with you, the joy he wants to bring in the depths of your being, the eternal ramifications of that come with answering the question, are you in a loving relationship with Jesus? And I know some folks are like, you know, we talk so much about the relational component. I want to talk about the transcendence of God, the holiness of God, how he is, he is robust and wonderful and beyond our comprehension. Yes, yes, yes. But we don't need to emphasize that and then de-emphasize the relationship. It makes the relationship and God dwelling in us that much more rich, as we heard from Teresa earlier. Teresa of Avila. Oh, if I'd only known. But had known that that God is here. I'd have never left him alone so long. So how do we know if we are in a loving relationship with Jesus? Here's what's so great about Jesus, friends. If you listen to his words, he doesn't want to leave you in the lurch, okay? And what's so wonderful is he doesn't just kind of let love be love, right? He's not like, you know what, just, just love, you know? Here's a suitcase, meaning love. Put whatever you want in it. No, he clarifies what love means. It's not merely this squishy thing. It includes your affections. It definitely includes your emotions. Don't leave those off by the side. God gave you those. Those are good things, helpful things. It involves experience, but it's not merely just cognitively assenting to ideas. Instead, we see... What Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. To love is to obey. Not sometimes, not most of the time, not on the things you just agree about. Because if you're just only following Jesus when you agree, you're not really following Jesus. You just happen to be walking the same direction for a moment. Instead, it's trusting Jesus and his commandments. How many times do you associate Jesus with commandments? I associate Moses with the commandments all the time, right? Think of uh, Prince of Egypt. That was the movie of uh, my childhood, right? Golly. It's like, yes! Like he's holding them up. I'm like, ah, oh, Ten Commandments. But Jesus and commandments, there's just like... An element like one of these doesn't fit, right? But there's an Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And then we start going down this road because, once again, we get so transactional so quick that we go, okay, what are the commandments? So I can just keep those and I can have the rest of my life. <laughs> but then you got to get to verse 23, and he doesn't say commandments. He says word. If you keep my word, logos, where do we go with logos? We go back to John 1. Who is the logos? Jesus himself. So it can't just be his commandments. It's also got to be his practices. If we're going to walk with him, it's going to be incorporating every aspect and nook and cranny of who Jesus is and what he said. And you know what Jesus talks about? He affirms the Hebrew scriptures as being authoritative, as if God was actually speaking them to them. He goes and he gives his authority to apostles.
epistles, which make up the rest of the New Testament. And he says, I'm giving you my authority. So if you're going to trust Jesus' word, you got to keep the apostles. You can't discount Paul or you don't know Jesus and you don't love Jesus. You can't then all of a sudden go like, well, i got this stirring within my spirit that aligns with God's word. But you know what? I'm just going to ignore it because, no, God is actually moving within you. And guide. this is such a, and here's the deal. When you're in love, you're not like, hey, what do I have to do? You know, can I just, just tell me what I need to do, okay? Whenever I have a couple <laughs> in my office and we're doing some counseling and one of the other looks at them and says, okay, just tell me what I've got to do so we can just be better. That's it. And that's all they want to do? That's not love. They're just trying to avoid and be done. And we can do that with Jesus too. Oh, just give me the irreducible minimums and then I'll get on with my life. When you love Jesus, don't miss this. It's not those who obey Jesus that he comes and dwells. It's those who love him, then it comes out. It's not a drudgery. It's an outworking. Obedience comes out of the intimacy, the love, the desire, the affection, the hope, the dreams, all wrapped up in him. And you go, where are you going? I want to go. What are you doing? I want to do that. Where have you been? Oh, this is wonderful. Like there's an element of just deep delight and I don't want to over passionalize it because sometimes it can be every day but it does consume you don't miss the order if you love me then you'll obey it's not a mere legalism it's an obedience out of intimacy and we all know one-sided relationships they don't work if you have one spouse that's constantly waiting hand and foot on the other spouse you don't have a marriage you have codependency friends Instead, when you're in love and you love someone, you become a constant learner of that someone, don't you? I mean, we, we, you've used languages about this, like the love languages. I constantly think that my daughter's love language is material things. <laughs> Gift giving. No, I know. But, but in reality, like there's something really, when she knows that you got a gift that really communicated that I saw her, it means so much to her. And with my daughter, with my two sons, with my wife, like I just want to know them. Not so that I can manipulate them, but, but, but because I cherish them, I want them to know more joy. And so I get to know how they experience love rather than just demanding they experience love the way I like to give love. Same with Jesus. Same with the truest and most beautiful relationships in our lives. We become learners. And Taylor last week spent more time talking about the beauty of trusting Jesus and obedience. The problem I want to highlight today is that we don't naturally obey Jesus, okay? We tend to trust ourselves. We live in a culture that's anti-authoritarian. We live in a culture that doesn't want anyone to tell us what to do. We love comfort above all Status quo is the goal, friends. Oh, it just takes so much pain for us to change just about anything. And so we need a lot of help. And that's where Jesus goes in our passage. Look with me again, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this word helper in the Greek is pretty difficult to translate. If you're using a different translation, it may come across as counselor, or they may go straight to the Greek and be paraclete, right? But I do think helper here really fits. We wrestle. We need help. 
And God is providing someone to dwell within us. The beauty of the triune God, the Holy Spirit comes and we step into this mystery of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we don't have time to go all into the richness and just the wonder of that. But he wants to come and he wants to dwell within you and then mediate the Father and the Son's presence so that the community of God is dwelling within you personally. And who doesn't want a helper? I mean, I want to reach my goals. I want to, you know, get past my worst barriers. And so we can instantly or pretty quickly start to see the helper as the helper towards my ends. But I actually think it's way more intense than this. You see, when you love Jesus, the Spirit confronts lies from inside out. Isn't it fascinating that when the Spirit of truth comes, where, where does the Spirit of truth go? It's going to go out into the world. No, not first. <laughs> he goes right into the depths of our own heart. You know the hardest place for truth to live? Your heart, my heart. Long before we talk about everyone else, people have been walking with Jesus for years. The spirit of truth dwelling right here in the depths of our own souls, speaking to our own hearts. And you know what's wonderful is that God is a really terrible roommate. <laughs> Somebody like, wait, wait, explain. Okay, so God is a terrible roommate with lies. He sees lies, they're drinking straight out of the milk carton, they're leaving the door open at 2 a.m., feeling very vulnerable. They're using all your toilet paper and giving you none, right? Like, lies are just using you up, and God doesn't want you to be bulldozed, not just by others, but by the own lies, your own lies that you're telling yourself. Now, sure, they may have had their founding outside in the culture. They may have had their founding in a relationship with a parent or a friend or a wound. Yes, yes, yes. But in the midst of that, the Spirit of God wants to speak truth to the lies that we are telling ourselves. That's the starting point, friends. And you want to know why? Because you know what holds you back from obedience? Lies. You know what holds you back from feeling at home with God? Lies. You know what holds you back from the life you long to live? Lies. Every counselor knows that every person who walks into their office looking for help is a living contradiction. They will come into the office saying, hey, I've got all these things I need help with, but they really will fight tooth and nail to not actually look at what is underneath all the things they say they want help with. The people who are most adamant to, bring, uh, to pursue change go about self-sabotage. And the reason I know that is because I do it too. <laughs> and the whole job of the counselor is to say, okay, let's address some of these things, but let's keep going deeper. Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? Until finally getting to the lies that are deep within us. And we don't want to look at them. Why? Because they hurt, friends. And some of these lies, we so underestimate lies. Lies will get you part of the way there. Part of the way. Lies will get you like two-thirds, maybe a third of the way. And it feels so good. You're like, this is bringing traction. It will get you through trauma. Lies will get you out of a place of pain for a moment. It can feel like a shot of adrenaline right to your heart. But it will never take you all the way. And this is why the devil is called what? The father of lies, because he knows how addictive they are. He knows that if he can just hook you with something that's kind of true, sort of true, just powerful enough, that you get addicted, that I get addicted, and they become the place we return to again and again and again. Speaking with our own voice the lies of the evil one in the depths of our heart. And those are the ones that no matter what anyone else says are the hardest to break because they come from our own lips. That's why we need the Spirit of God to come within us. 
Because when the spirit of truth comes, nothing can hide. Instead, we go to the end of the book of Revelation, who John also wrote, and talks about the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven that God has prepared for the new heavens and the new earth. And it's coming down. Well, so often we forget, too, that he wants the new Jerusalem to come within the topography, the landscape of the depths of our souls. He wants to do that work just as much in you and me as he wants to do around you and me. He wants to move in and confront. Jaron Avery um, is an artist that we have currently up in the exhibit at the Four Chapter Gallery downtown. And uh, he has this brilliant piece here in the gallery guide that we have in the show uh, downtown right now. And this is what he has to say. A critique with someone you trust in art is similar to getting counseling or emotional care from a friend, a therapist or pastor. You bring what you have, good and bad, to the table, no hiding. You describe how you got here, what is still true. The work is out there. And like a counselor, the trusted person helps you through it. They show you what is strong and needs to be highlighted or encouraged. Sometimes we need people to do that. And what is weak and needs to be strengthened or edited out. You leave with more tools and a better vision of what you are doing. And you know that you are not alone in this. That is relationship through art, healing through art. Listen, friends, Jesus wants to come and he wants to dwell within us. And he wants to slowly attend to those lies that hold us so tightly. And what are those lies? The, the, the lies of, I'm in control. No, you're not. <laughs> lies like, I don't need anyone. Oh, no, you need a lot of people in your life. Lies like, this isn't wrong. Oh, it is wrong, and it is wrong for you, and it's going to lead to your destruction. Stop telling yourself you need this, you deserve this, when it's going to destroy you. And then there are, of course, deeper and scarier lies, like I'm unlovable, or if they only knew the real, like if they saw all of me, then they would leave. And we usually have narratives to back it up. That's the danger of some of these lies, because we go to a story of a parent who walked out. We'll go to the story of a friend who left us when they finally found that one part out about us. A spouse, a child. We have stories that some that come to actually circumvent any sense of vulnerability, any sense of healing. And then we finally find ourselves in a space where we say, I'm alone. And God says, no, that's not what I want for you. And that's actually not true when you've received me. You're never alone. I will never leave you nor forsake you something absolutely beautiful that Jesus is seeking to attend to here. But it's going to be really painful. And so I have to ask, do you really want that? It's a lot easier, frankly, in many ways, to never address those deep lies that are hidden within the recesses of your heart. To let God actually rummage around in your life like a good roommate, like a loving spouse. And to be clear, I'm not saying just embrace an idea. I mean having an experience with God. I love what Gregory Palamas, who's an Eastern Orthodox theologian, he says, to think about God a thousand times without experiencing God is to know nothing. Jesus is inviting us to an experience with him to make his home with us. Anyone who comes and moves in with you and you never see them, that's not a relationship. You've got a stalker. 
So what is Jesus inviting you and me to here? What do we get the opportunity? This is what Jesus wants. He wants us to let God make you more beautiful. That's what he wants. He's not here to try to make your life miserable. He's not here to finally convince you you're not good enough. He's not here to say all of these destructive and just to tear you down to prove how big you. He's so big and so confident, so self-secure and so loving. He just wants to pursue your good and to make you beautiful. That's what he wants. The spirit of truth coming at those lies and seeking to breathe life. And other artists. So one of the great joys I have as the downtown campus pastor is that I'll get to walk. I go down to the gallery once or twice a week, and I just get to peruse the current exhibit and allow beauty to soak into my soul. And another artist that we have on display right now is uh, Gregory Colsto. And in his work, there is just this brilliant series of paintings that he has um, where he seeks to highlight the hiddenness of one's soul. He goes to reveal what feels like. Because listen, we think we know ourselves. The inner reality of your soul is almost, not quite, but almost as mysterious to us as the grandiosity of God. And when he goes, he he lays out this jumbled mess of the interior reality, and you can't really see it unless you look really close, but there are these little pump jacks. Anybody know what a pump jack is? Those are those little oil pumps that you see out in the, 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 the fields, in the farms, are trying to pull out the oil. And he's saying those are the lies, those are the dreams, sometimes the people in institutions that are seeking to suck the beauty out of you. And what God needs to do is he needs to come and actually dismantle those pump jacks and begin to bring order and beauty in the depths of our souls. But he's got to demo some things, friends. You see, when God moves in, he doesn't want to just make you sturdy, make sure you get a good foundation. He's not seeking to do life on a budget. I'm just going to do the plumbing, right? He wants to make you beautiful, friends. And isn't that where Jesus goes? Chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I'm not giving you like the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that was limited to a few that had already proven their worth and the rest of the masses had to serve them. No, 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 no. You have to prove nothing. And I give you my peace. And what is peace? Look throughout the Hebrew scriptures. It's shalom. It's harmony. It's well-being. Or just flip those words, being well. Who doesn't want to be well? To wake up in the morning and be well. To be able to close your eyes at the end of the day and be well. To know the worries or the responsibilities and relationships and yet to be well. That's what Jesus wants to do in you and me. And to close out, I just want to expand just ever so briefly on an illustration I once heard N.T. Wright describe. And how there's this architect who received this extraordinary, I mean, he was an art collector at the same time. He received this extraordinary work of art, and yet he built this house. He'd spent years building his house, and he built it around him. All of his dreams, his passions were displayed in this brilliant house. But he, was, he received this work of art, and he comes to his home, and he starts going from room to room like, man, it doesn't quite fit there. It doesn't, mm, this room doesn't really do justice to this work of art here either. And he'd built this house to fit him perfectly. But now he had this work of art, and it didn't seem to fit his house. And so he made a very difficult decision. He made a decision to demolish the house he'd built around him 
and to build a new house built around this painting. To allow the entryway, when it opened up, everything centered in on this work of art. The windows were positioned perfectly to show off its beauty. Any room in the house, the beauty from the artwork would bleed into the other rooms and you could look down at the... Everything about this house was built around this house and as he stepped in, you could just feel the harmony and the delight and he could finally rest at what was at the center of his life. That's what God wants to do, friend. When you love him, he may have to demo some things. But it's because it's on the way to making you more beautiful. Not miserable because he's a vengeful God just ready to bring pain in your life. No, he went through pain that he might bring joy to your life. That's who he is. He's just. Oh, but he just. He's so just he wants to bring joy. And he's paid the way for us in Jesus. If we just let him in, friends, the more we're at home with God, the more he'll be at home with us. And the more... God is at home with us. Here's this extraordinary paradox. The more we're going to be at home with ourselves. Peace. Delight. Love. That is what God does when he moves into our life. He's waiting for you and me, friends. He's waiting. You just let him in. Would you do that? Let's pray. God, thank you that you came into kind of the slums of our lives with mold on the walls, ran into the ground by a landlord who cared nothing of us, leaving us in the depths, feeling like this is all we deserved. And you came in and you purchased us with the blood of Jesus. And you've come and you're longing to make us whole, to renovate, to make us more beautiful, what we were intended to be. God, thanks for not giving up on us. Thanks for continuing to pursue us in love. And may us, by the power of your spirit, confront those lies that so easily are seeking to misdirect us, to distract us from your persistent, never-ending, always and forever love. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.